My name is Shandy Chernow, and you're listening to the Shandyland Podcast. We are diving into the world of amusement parks and attractions today, and all sorts of fun surrounding that with Ken Whiting, who is the president of Whiting's Food Concessions, as well as the newly appointed chairman of the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions. Ken, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. What an amazingly fun gig you've got. I, I, I do indeed. And, and uh, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to participate and looking forward to it. Yeah. Well, so you've got a really fascinating story. You now run, you're the head of your family's business. I don't know that I've ever checked someone's LinkedIn and seen a 43-year history with the same company. So it was started by your father. Tell me what that journey has looked like for you, why you've stayed for really your entire career, and what it's like working with your other family members. Well, we are family business, uh, for sure. And in 1953, my dad, he was a milkman delivering to the concessionaires that were in business at the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk, which is where I'm sitting right now, um, back in those days. And that in that year, he ended up taking over the operation of a very seasonal um, ice cream stand. And since then, um, our, our footprint, if you will, has expanded quite a bit. And, um, and that's the beginning of our my entry or my family's entry into the food and beverage world. So, so to that extent, I was born in, into this. Quite literally. Quite literally. And maybe at a young age, didn't have a, a lot of choice in it. You know, good, small family businesses, um, you go to work. <laughs> that's just the way, that's just the way it, it was. And I suspect still is, but uh, somewhere along the way, in my case, at that point, then we were operating solely within an amusement park, a great one here in Santa Cruz. I really became more, while my core responsibilities have always been in food and beverage, the, it, it really, I became more enamored or as enamored being in the amusement park and attractions world. And, you know, yes, it's about my history or what kept me here. Somewhere along the way, I mean, I, I mean, I'm the kind of person who doesn't like to operate in the vacuum of information and kind of being back in the day, kind of being smaller and more insular. It was like other people had it figured out or so it seemed right. And, and that just led me to reaching out to one and first most other amusement parks kind of in our area uh, or in California and perhaps to other places on my travel, just on my own, just reaching out and introducing myself and seeing if I could come visit sometime. And I have found that then that I was in an industry that shares extremely well, like none other, not like restaurant to restaurant uh, at all. It's very, everyone's very willing to share uh, information, their successes, their failures. And so that became extremely enlightening to me. And that led me to my first IAPA conference in 1979. And after a few years of just simply hanging out and going to education sessions and walking the show floor and seeing all the creativity that was on display, I just walked into the education office and asked if I could volunteer. And they were quick to connect me to somebody on a committee and 
and on and on and on. So, you know, so some almost 40 years later of pretty consistent volunteering within that association, um, I have become, yeah, chair of that association. And the very first person in the 103 year history to be from the food and beverage area. Ah, good to know. Yeah. So what, how old were you and what was your first job in the family business? Well, age escapes me, but let's say 10 years old. Might oh my old. gosh. I've been a little older, a little younger, and I had the distinct responsibility of peeling bananas. <laughs> true story. For the chocolate bananas that we still sell today. Yeah. And, um, and uh, you know, when I, after I peeled bananas for some period of time, it might have taken me a while to master that task. But uh, once I got past that, you know, you quickly pick up other roles and responsibilities of just doing everything right uh that it took to serve the thousand guests that we uh so very important banana peeling question though do you peel it from the part where the stem is or do you peel it from the bottom uh from the stem silly i'm surprised you don't know that well (laughs) apparently you're supposed to kind of do it the other way like if you look at how you know other primates do it they do it upside down from how we do it you start the top and peel down yeah well, a seasoned professional. I, I like it. What's yeah. your record for number of bananas peeled in one day as well, a 10 year old? I can remember we had like 30 cases of them would come in and they were, well, I don't know. I think there was a hundred some odd per case. And it was like, we were given a time limit and I forget what it was now. Oh my God. Get that done in the next two hours or four hours, whatever it was. And, and um, because we had to go do something else after that. Right. So, um, we, we were, we were, I learned a lot, honestly, about you got a job to do and you can't, you got to get done within a certain time frame. And you have to do a good job. You can't like mush the bananas all together, right? So bananas better look good and I'll be the same size. So it was, uh, I'm going to let my kids listen to this part because they're nine and 12. And so they yeah. should absolutely be as work, working as hard as you are for Star to Star or was, as hard as you were for Whiting's as, uh, they there, should be for Star to Star. There were a lot of transferable skills learned from peeling bananas and uh, they carried forward to today. That's awesome. And today you work with several of your siblings and quite a few nieces, so, nephews, kids. Yeah. So over time, you know, so actually right now I have one business partner, my a sister of mine. So I'm one of eight children, but today there's just two with that generation that are uh, myself and her uh, that, that I work with and we get along famously and it's a wonderful thing. And I have a, another nephew who is now a part owner in the company. And then I'd have to think for a minute, we've more different times over the years. One being one of the eight kids, there's lots of next generation and to your mm-hmm. point, nieces and nephews. And we have had, boy, certain times we've had large numbers of, that next generation working, you know, when they were in high school or college. Uh, I have three daughters and they certainly all did a, uh, their, their tours of duty for multiple years, you know, as they through, you know, up through, through and into college time. Uh, and right now there's not too many, I have to think for a minute, probably a half a dozen or so, you know, relatives doing different. Well, now people have a tendency to move and spread out a little bit more yeah, than. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think we're waiting for a wave of the next generation of yeah. 
I have a grandchild who's like 12 and he's, he's come up and uh, when they've been in town, I'll put him to work and he enjoys it and he's capable of doing things, but that will have a big wave uh, someday of that, that two generations down for me that will pop up and hopefully well, on that, on that topic. Yeah. You have employed so many young people over the years, right? Yeah. And from a workforce perspective, particularly in kind of boardwalk and in attractions land, I feel like the you know kind of average age is a bit younger. You have written about it. This has been a focus of yours. Tell me how you have been successful with the workforce that you have. Why it's important to you, and maybe some tips or hints for other people who are who are trying to do the same. Yeah, sure. Uh, we have, um, we've always had a, maybe a little bit at, was selfish, but, but really not. We've always had a heart for the high school and college kids that, that age group. And particularly those are the, maybe even more so high school, the first job mm -hmm. seekers and how we can invest in their lives and hopefully do things that set them up for success. First most for while, while they're still working with us. And, and so many work for a year to two to three to six to eight. I mean, all, all the way um, through, uh, through college for sure. And uh, uh, so many. And so over time, we've just, we viewed ourselves often as being in the people business as much as in the food and beverage business. And um, it, it became clear somewhere along the way, we're in a pretty tight staffing time frame right now but we've lived through some pretty tight periods in the past and at some point it became clear that boy the workforce is changing a little bit and maybe we need to take a fresh look at how we attempt to you know recruit and retain and inspire and motivate uh, our young workforce and and at that particular time um i w it was um I'm trying to think, you know, we just, we adapted all, this is 20 years ago or more. We, uh, we adapted all sorts of new ways of engaging and with, with our team in terms of, well, I don't know, I have to think a little bit here, but, you know, lots, really focus on a lot more instant gratification. We used to have big events or if you work through the whole summer, we'd have some celebration at the end. Well, three months was far too long from now as attention spans got shorter. So, you know, we, we, were, we, were, we were rewarding people on a daily basis. We got our scheduling online and, and um, so many other various and sundry ways of adapting to perhaps their lifestyle to simply to get them to be engaged with us. And uh, almost everything went digital or video and that's only continued to grow. And, and accelerate like crazy over the last two years. Uh, but but the, it's just an age group that we have continued to stay close to and pull up alongside those that we think might need a little bit more attention. And, and then they give that back to you, I'm sure. Hopefully educate them on things that make them more successful, but not only at work, but in life, right? So. Yeah, and they'll always remember that first job fondly, given the focus that you guys have on investing in them, I'm sure. And, um, you know, you don't see that all that often, I think. So it's it's struck me as super interesting. Yeah, Any me, particular favorite success stories with? Uh, oh, good grief. We've got, you know, we have a, a 
I don't know what they call it a book. Maybe it was a book we put together a few years ago for internal use. It was, where are they now? And we must have, we might have a hundred different past members of our team that, you know, that all sent in stories of what they're doing today and what they, and how, what they learned working with us over whatever period of time that was, how that benefited them when they went on a career path that might've been way different than making funnel cakes and selling ice cream, you know, and uh, that, that they, and they, and these are people that all excelled in whatever, uh, whatever career path it was that they pursued. Yeah. So it was very, very rewarding. So there's, there's lots, there's a lot of people that are senior leaders in other corporations and teachers and a lot of teachers, by the way, and, and find that found that what they learned here was very relevant to, to the classroom. And uh, so it's been, it's been a lot. That's so great. Um, yeah, you've, you've written about all sorts of um, uh, hiring, you know, in this particular age group. What if you could go back and do differently? Would you do? What are those kind of lessons that you learned that you needed to make those shifts in order to be successful in that age group? Because it's a big challenge for a lot of people and in, in not just amusement parks and attractions, but food and beverage in general. Well, yeah, for sure. I, what is a lesson learned that we do differently? Probably, uh, probably adapt quicker or sooner. And, you know, in, in terms of looking, you know, you need to look, you need to manage through the eyes of today's teens, not through the eyes of when you were a, a teenager. And on one hand, nothing's changed, right? Uh, but on the other hand, I think the environment has changed. Anybody born in the last, I don't know, let's call it 20 years, has just been raised on a more of that super technology highway right and for sure we're all the same individuals i don't think you know my dad probably thought me and my friends weren't quite as ready and prepared as his generation was and 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 that probably goes back or forward every generation but but recently in the more recent years it, it's really I, I do think it's the technology and social media and and the use of that and how that has affected a young people are raised and uh, you know that may come about short attention spans and and how they take in information is is way different than uh, when i was that age for sure so yeah. so it, it's it's really about not and they don't i think after you have after you have a relationship with them and earn their trust and you, you know you can have some real great conversations with young people about it and educate them and about the value of looking people in the eye and not looking at a screen all day. But it is, um, uh, it, it's, well. Rewarding? It, it's very rewarding for sure. But, but I'll, uh, well, I guess what I was going to say is that there's so many employers and perhaps we're in that boat to some extent, or some of our team, and everybody has to be on board to really have the culture right. Everybody meaning any supervisor or manager or anybody who has influence over our workforce or anybody's workforce that's listening to this, all of those people need to be on board that they can't manage kind of by a kind of their way or the highway. You know, you've got to, you've got to understand your workforce because 
in a tight labor market in today's world is very, very hard to fill positions. Um, if you if you lose somebody, it you, you just um, you can't replace them. <laughs> so yeah. so so you better invest very well in them and understand them as individuals. You know, young people for the most part. Maybe this is true of any age. They don't. They rarely quit companies, right? They quit people, yeah. right? And so and so it's. I, I think that we've had you know in our past we've probably had some old school managers that needed uh, they, they needed as much attention as the young people in terms of for results and for performance that, that, that you might need to try a different method uh, of, of of getting somebody to get the job done because yeah manage everybody where they're at right that's so awesome. I've always had a little bit of an obsession of like the behind the scenes in <laughs> any place. I remember when I was in eighth grade, we took a 24 hour bus ride to Disney world and we got to have like a behind the scenes tour. And as far as I can tell, this is where my obsession started, but I love kind of knowing how the magic happens, if you will, just to steal the Disney world. Cause I just word, cause I just used that story, but you know, what is a day in the life of making everybody so happy in an attraction look like? Well, it, First of all, is you know, since we're talking about kind of all attractions, you know, it's not a one size fits all, right? You yeah. mentioned Disney World, so we'll start at the top, and and and, and honestly, it looks just on a relative basis. I think it does look the same to them as it does the, <laughs> the small local fun center or trampoline house, you know. But but um, it's uh, but the facilities might look way different is what I was thinking about at first. The the behind the scenes of a small fun center doesn't look like the behind the scenes no. of Disney World. And uh, But there's this kind of aspect of like the gerbils run really fast behind yeah. the scenes in order to make it look all like calm and, and easy, you know, easy breezy, beautiful on the front of the scenes, right? I mean, if we open up at 11 in the morning, we've got teams starting work well before six in the morning and working well after we close it could be midnight, right? 11 right. Or whatever, to, uh, to make sure that things are cleaned and things are restocked and schedules are managed and, and put back together and all the other pieces of equipment that broke that day get some some attention and some priority fashion. There's a tremendous amount that that is, you're right, that is moving um, when we're closed. Right, when uh, the people who are there to enjoy it never see. So, so that so that when we do raise the doors, and this applies across all everywhere, that when you raise the doors, that you're ready. Yeah. And that, that does not happen by accident. That's uh, And the face that you put on out there is one yeah. way, even if things are going poorly yeah. behind the scenes. So what does a day in the life look like for you? I imagine that it is very unpredictable day to day. Sure it is. I mean, I don't, um, I don't work operationally as much now as I used to. So, uh, of course, my days are much more uh, controlled. So, I'm for me personally, I'm looking for um, what, pull me up. Where, where can I help? You know, I I get a quick read on what our schedule looks like for the day, and I, I have a good sense of how busy it's going to be today. So I'll I kind of know like okay, somewhere between total chaos and being in control is what today is going to be. And I can give it my own measurement uh, pretty quick. 
And it's like, yeah, I think I'll just go hang out down in this restaurant or let me go work with that new supervisor today or let me go, you know, just fill the gap in a spot that appears to need to be filled. So, uh, or yeah, things are smooth. Nobody needs me around here. So I'm going to work on, work on some other office stuff. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, um, but it is, um, I mean, it's no different than, right, in one respect, no different than any restaurant or attraction, I suppose. But, but, but there's, a, there's an intensity, perhaps, that is, might be greater. And we'll have, you know, we have a, a, a few hundred employees coming into work today and, you know, dozens of locations to get open. And I don't know how many total menu items we have, but, you know, dozens more of those. And it's just, it's not a cookie cutter, one location, one season manager in that location, a lot of small stands that you got one or two people working in other larger facilities that have a much bigger team. And um, yeah, line speeds. Got, I mean, there, it, there's different, there's, there's, there's similarities and a lot of differences between the food and beverage business that I'm in and being in the restaurant business, quick serve or full service, mm-hmm. out, not in an amusement park. So, uh, so at some point along the way, because you were bored and not busy enough, yes, <laughs> your, your days weren't exciting enough, yeah. you decided to move, not move, but in addition to the concession piece where you're running and operating all these different locations with all these different menu items, yeah. into... A, more of a manufacturing side where you're now providing those same amazing products to other parks and attractions as well, right? Well, do I, do I have a good read on that? Well, uh, with a slight caveat, uh, w- during COVID, right? Which I guess we're still during COVID, but uh, for a year, yeah. So we were closed for a whole year, which is hard for me to even imagine as I'm looking back, right? And it was so, knowing that it, it was not a good year, twenty. 20 and uh it's the it, year that must not be named we leave that one behind yeah, i like that and uh, <laughs> i like that and so and and we kept all of our full-time team on on we kept all of our full-time team period on the payroll and, and in part at first because this thing was going to be two weeks mm-hmm. maybe a month maybe another month i mean but certainly we're going to be open soon and we need every one of them so after months went by it was like well, we we have got to come up with some new revenue streams here because this is not a good scene at all the pandemic and, pivot yes the pand- that's exactly what this was without the pandemic what i'm about to tell you would never have occurred and um, so we started experimenting with a variety of things we were doing doordash locally and we were wholesaling some products that we do manufacturers that we sell here in the park um around town just you know and just, just to learn that piece of business mm-hmm. and uh, and none of them have, honestly that well there was no they're all successful i mean we had staff to deal with our full-time team was doing them and and uh and that was good and we learned something from all those but none of them appeared to be uh, directions we wanted to go into or or, or really p l changing not very scalable uh particularly without significant capital investment which we were flat out running out of because we were closed so i worked with some of our 
I started talking to a lot of our vendors and suppliers about just ideas, just brainstorming. And the company called the, the IC company, Frozen Beverages, most mm-hmm. people were, were familiar to one degree or another. So pretty well acquainted with them. And the idea in talking to them was we started talking about their flavors and whatnot and compatible products. And um, long, I'll fast forward, don't mean to drag this out, but I'll fast forward that we ended up signing a license with the IC company to pack IC branded and flavored cotton candy and in, in tubs. And I found that we didn't have the facilities to make it, nor did we have any idea that it would be where it would go. We had no idea, honestly. And, and so we, it, I found a co-packer that does that kind of thing. And so they, they make it all for us. And before we signed the agreement, I called the, around several dozen, couple dozen people I know around our industry and like, just tell me the truth, stupid idea, you know, or, or not. When I got very positive read on the fact that, that let kind of like, let us know when you got product and we'll give it a shot, you know, and if it, sells, if it sells great, if it doesn't, eh, nobody's going to get burnt on this. So anyway, so the, that's awesome. So that was just in March of this year. Right? I was going to say last year, but of this year, when we first had product, we sold, I don't know, 400 and some odd thousand tubs now of, of this product. I mean, so much I can't. And, and our production partner, we stopped selling in May because Lee time, his business picked up like crazy. They couldn't hire enough people. There were supply chain issues. And, and so we sold, yeah, we're up over 400,000 units and, and we would have sold twice that if there was an unlimited supply. We just had to stop selling because our lead times were taking too long. So, and we were committed to staying in our lane, by the way. Right. I, I wasn't going, we weren't going to go out and, I don't know, buy a car wash or do something. I mean, we, 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 we were going to stay within the, I had too much invested into parks and attractions. It's kind of been my world, our world. And it was like, what, what can we do in that world? And so honestly, we, we found now, so to that extent, our only product is cotton candy. We are looking at and considering some other things that appear to be relevant because we built up a little bit of credibility and and a lot of business and um, and it was good. I mean, it, and without COVID, it would never never would have happened. Never, yeah. never would have happened, and uh, could have. Right? There's no, there's no reason. Well, then- why. Maybe we'll let 2020 back in the room a little bit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's really cool. I, I mean, you you know, you hear a lot about people doing different things during COVID and trying to pivot in different ways, but you don't often hear quite as successful a story as that one. And I, I am really glad to hear that. Well, thank you. And, I, and, and in all full transparency, we stumbled into it. I, you sure. Know, it wasn't, it was just one more thing to throw against the wall when we started. And, um, uh, and it stuck. It wasn't like we were really knew or thought that it was going to take off. So, so now we do, and now we're working on increasing manufacturing capabilities, and we'll be ready for twenty two, much more ready. So that's uh, yeah, very cool. Yeah. So I want to make sure that we talk about. Let me get this right. IAPA a sure. bit. Yeah. Um, would not have been how I predicted pronouncing the acronym, but I like I, it. Uh, I A A P A. So. Everybody refers to it as IAPA. IAPA. Yeah. So it, I mean, 
what a fun group of people to get together for a conference. Yeah. Literally everybody in the room has something to do with amusement parks and attractions. We're all in the business of fun. Yeah. Seriously. And you mentioned earlier that everybody kind of helps each other out and, you know, is open with sharing. How does that conference go? And, and, you know, how do you guys kind of serve each other as you, as you're going through that? Not just from the conference, but I guess the whole year round. Oh yeah. It's, yeah. So first of all, so IAPA is the global association for the parks and attractions industry. We have mm-hmm. three trade shows a year, conferences a year around the world. I was in Barcelona a month or two ago, and we have one that's, we have one in the uh, EMEA region, the Europe, uh, Europe, Middle East and Africa region. There's always mm-hmm. a big one there every year. And in the, in the uh, Asia Pacific region, we have a conference. And then um, one here in Orlando every year is the, is the largest one um, certainly covers North America for sure, but but lots of international attendance as well. Um, so where was I going with that? The um, so so we're very global. I mean, I guess is in part where I was going with that. And uh, um, so big big organization with offices all over the world and staff spread around the world with a head and headquartered in Orlando, Florida. Uh, we share. There's a lot of real common common what's the word values i suppose like like around safety yeah I bet. everybody shares best safety practices whether that's about ride safety guest safety employee safety guest uh food and beverage you mm-hmm. know safety it, it covers every end and and that's the highest of uh, priorities for the association first of all but there's so much there's so many other things that are delivered uh Number one, three conferences, which are three big trade shows, which are the marketplace for uh, that 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 occurs. And within those trade shows, there's so much um, in-person uh, education. I mean, I think we sure. have 120 sessions on every topic you might be able to imagine occur, would occur for, and uh, a lot of education, a lot of tours were going on at different behind the scenes tours. You mentioned those earlier, different parts based upon different disciplines that somebody was uh, interested in. We had a, 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 at SeaWorld Orlando, we had a food and beverage tour over there one one day. So uh, those things are occurring around. So that's what happens kind of during the, 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 the week. And there's some symposiums and other kinds of things happening, but an association business, but the education goes on all year. I mean, the, Facebook live sessions and webinars and other um, different safety and management institutes that are multi-day or occurred and scheduled throughout uh, throughout the year. But it is uh, it, it sounds so simple to say, but everyone is willing. No one views the, the person sitting next to them as a competitor, and uh, and and. And if that were the case, it's it's rare. I, mean, I, I I've never I've never crossed over that, but um, nobody really views themselves as competitors. It's uh, that's great. It, it it really is because the, the the desire. We'll have to make sure that we make it that make it there next year because yes, I, it just sounds like such a you know awesome group of people and it, uh, and I love it that. It is. So tell everybody listening how they can connect with you, Whiting's. IAPA online. Yeah. You know, the best way to connect with me is through LinkedIn. Um, and I'm, I'm not 
beyond all that, I'm I'm, I'm not very uh, I'm not social media involved except through LinkedIn, and that's I'm pretty easy to find on that. If you type in uh, my name, I'm sure it'll pop up pretty pretty quick. I can attest uh, to that. It does. Uh, yeah. So, uh, um, uh, <laughs> and after this past conference and and with some of the things that were out about me becoming chair, yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of blowing up on me a little bit here in the last week. Um, so LinkedIn is the best, the best way. And uh, okay. so that, for sure, that's, and, and within that, my contact information is all there. Perfect. So then I like to wrap all these episodes up with two truths and a lie. So you're going to give us three facts about yourself, except one's not a fact in no particular order. And don't tell us the answer. Okay, well, this was the part I should have given more thought to. <laughs> We've had all sorts of different themes, totally unrelated things. There's any direction you can go in. Okay. My uh, favorite movie is Rocky, all the Rocky movies. I have uh, run way over 50 marathons. And I have visited every continent. I love it. Those are perfect. Thank you so much. And Ken, thank you so much for being here. Ken Whiting, president of Whiting Food, Whiting's Food Concessions. I really appreciate you. This has been a great conversation. Listeners, as always, thank you so much for being here. This has been the Shandyland Podcast. And we'll talk to you soon. 